Thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure that you are up to date on all things The Cross. So be sure to head over to our website, thecross.family. Here's where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Now here's the latest message from The Cross Church. Blessings. One of my all-time favorite portions of Scripture in the Gospels is when Jesus calls the disciples. I love, love, love this portion of Scripture where Jesus approaches them and says, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men, right? Unbelievable statement. It's something that empowered me a lot when I was about 19 years old and God called me. And what struck me was this, is that when we choose to follow him, when we surrender to him, when we submit ourselves to him, he takes us, transforms us, but with the purpose of changing and transforming others. He does not just set us free, but he gives us purpose. Um, It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when you see it in action, it is absolutely spectacular. So with that being said, I'm going to ask Irene this morning to stand for me. Irene O'Malley. Yes, yes, that's you. Um, okay, Okay, hang on. So when I was doing my interview for the cross, I remember that Pastor Zach took me around and he showed me a whole bunch of things. And uh, Lake Cares Food Pantry, oh. you know, there are mornings where I get up and I'm like, if I can make it through today without crying and my mascara running everywhere, I would have won. <laughs> I'm so close, but it's going to happen. And I remember one of the first things he did is he took me to food pantry and, <sighs> come on, boy, <laughs> you shave and you drive, man up. <laughs> Okay, you have a dog now too. And he introduced me to you, and uh, you are a very powerful person. And uh, we are so proud of you. And um, mm. come on. Give me a break. It's dusty in this place. And uh, Irene has actually been inducted into the Lake County Women's Hall of Fame. So, we love you. You're a daughter of the house. And we are so proud of you. And thank you for showing us what that looks like when you follow Christ. Amen. Thank you. All right. All righty. Okay, there we go. (laughs) That's why they pay me the big bucks, all this pressure on me. Okay, we are continuing with our series here. We are in our Advent series, and um, it's been wonderful to look at all the different names that God calls Jesus. Um, we've, we've delved a little bit into this idea of names are powerful, but how much more powerful when God is the one naming it or naming the person. So uh, we have been in the book of Isaiah. We're going to go there again this morning, Isaiah verse 9, uh, of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And here is a prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel. And uh, let's read through it this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this incredible moment, God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, instructs the prophet Isaiah that Jesus would be called Mighty God. This is an incredible statement. Some of our other names Jesus has are absolutely beautiful, but this name really leaves no room for the imagination. God is declaring Jesus as God. Full stop. God is saying he is the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the one that you should listen to, right? An incredible statement where God says Jesus is not just a good man. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a good teacher. But this is, in fact, God in Jesus. Um, It's amazing for me over the years as I have grown in my faith and as I've had many, many conversations with many different people with different beliefs. But for some reason, people can quickly acknowledge the fact that Jesus was a good man, a prophet, a teacher. Uh, Rock and roll stars will sing songs about Jesus. They'll say things about him in movies. But when it comes to this specific truth about the fact that Jesus is God, People really struggle with that. And very often they'll go, I can give you everything else, but I don't know that I can completely buy into this idea that Jesus is God. And one of the arguments that I've actually heard being made is, well, it's one thing to have Old Testament prophecies, but does Jesus ever actually declare himself as God? Um, I've heard this argument be made, and the answer is yes, he did. Um, John 8 Verses 58 to 59, Jesus speaking, he says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. (laughs) At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. I have no proof to back this up. Um, But they hid himself there, I believe, was invisibility powers. Um, But anyways, let's go on. Uh, But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Last week, we spoke a little bit about this incredible moment in Exodus where Moses has this experience with God, and he says to God, give me your name. Who are you? And God declares, I am who I am, right? In this moment, when Jesus says, I am, he is making a definitive declaration. He is saying that he is God. I think sometimes when we read some of the pieces in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, we will look at people's responses to Jesus and we'll go, oh, that's kind of rude. That's a little out of pocket. Why are they so angry with Jesus? Well, if you were a religious Jew at the time and somebody came along and said, I am Yahweh, that is a problem. Um, That is um, a very big problem. And this is why we see the strong reaction to Jesus where essentially they want to stone him, and eventually Christ does get crucified. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one that God has sent. I think the reason we struggle so much to wrap our heads around this concept of Jesus as God is because we have such a big view of who God is. When we talk about God and when we think about God, we think about the galaxy, we think about his power, we think about this incredible force that is out there somewhere, 
but it becomes difficult for us to then try to wrap our heads and to comprehend what that would look like as God takes human form in Christ. What does that look like? How does that work? I was reading an article the other day about Keanu Reeves. Anybody remember Keanu Reeves? Um, I love that dude so much. Uh, There is a new Matrix movie coming out, and I will not get distracted because I don't have time, but let's hope it's a good one. Um, But Keanu Reeves, I was reading, is one of Hollywood's most beloved actors, and one of the reasons he is so beloved is because apparently he's extremely down to earth. Jesus is very down to earth. And uh, in this article, I was reading that whenever Keanu is in New York City, he will just take the subway. So at any given day, if you are in New York riding on a smelly, stinky, weird subway train, you might just be sitting next to Neo the One, right? You might be sitting next to Keanu Reeves. And there's something about that that just is fascinating to us as people, especially when we look at high up celebrities and multi-billionaires and people that we feel should be above the normal ordinary day struggles. But when we see people like that step into that space, there's something about it that's very unique and very interesting. When you take that same thinking and you apply it to God, it goes even further than that. When we take the same thinking To God, it becomes extremely difficult to imagine God stepping on a Lego and screaming in agony in the middle of the night. It's difficult to imagine God laughing at his brother James at the table because James just burped rudely and Mary is upset with him, right? It's difficult for us to think that way or to understand God in that way. The Bible says something very interesting. The Bible actually says that it is in Christ that we get a perspective of God that we otherwise would not get. Um, Come and check this out with me. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. Um, I'm going to give you full disclosure here. I only really need verse 15 to make my point this morning, but I just could not stop reading because it is so beautiful. So we're going to read to verse 20 and uh, just hear this truth. Let this be declared over you today. Uh, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Woo! Powerful, powerful stuff. But the piece I want to focus on this morning is the fact that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. Scripture tells us that we are washed by the blood of Christ. Scripture tells us that when God looks at us, He looks at us through the blood. We are redeemed because of the blood of Christ. As we look at the Father through Christ's love, we will get a different perspective of the Father. So what I want to do this morning is we are going to look 
at this incredible truth of Jesus being God. And as we look at that, as we ponder that, it is going to give us some clarity around who it is that God is. Essentially, what I'm saying to you is, is that Jesus brings us clarity when it comes to God. As we look at the Father through the Son, we will gain better understanding of who the Father is. So we're going to look at a couple of things. First thing that I want to touch on today is that Jesus shows us that God is not afraid of getting his hands dirty. God has some dirt under his fingernails. I do too at the moment. Um, Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9 says it this way. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Bible declares that God is holy. He is higher than us. He thinks differently to us. Uh, Psalm 22 verses 3 goes on and says, Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. You do not need to look too far in Scripture to find that the Bible tells us that God Almighty is holy. He is holy. This understanding that God is holy and that He is set apart is the thing that makes Jesus so incredibly special. The word holy as used in Scripture often is defined by words like sacred, consecrated, and set apart. In the New Testament, when we speak about a holy people, it often speaks about a people that are set apart. So when we think about this great God, this awesome God, this incredible God that is a holy God, it is easy for us to understand that He is set apart. He is separated from us. He lives on a different level. But in Jesus, we see that even though God is better than us, He is not too good for us. He draws near to us. Jesus shows us that God, even though He is set apart, even though He is holy, He is not afraid to get His hands dirty. Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8 is honestly one of my favorite, favorite portions of scripture. This is one that I look back to all the time when I need to get a healthy perspective on how to live my life. But listen to what it says here. And and this is about Jesus. It says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What this shows us is that even though God is better than us, he is not too good for us. What this shows us is that even though God is a holy God, that does not mean he is a distant God. But still, in spite of all of His holiness, in spite of all of His glory, He draws near to us who are imperfect and who don't have all the answers. What this means for us is that we can never hold ourselves in such high esteem that we become too good for people. One of the things that I have seen in Christianity, and I've seen it in the faith, and this has happened to me personally, is If we are not careful, 
we can become very prideful and we can become very arrogant. One of the things that will happen when we encounter Jesus Christ is he will transform our lives. He will take your heart and he will transform it. He will open up blind eyes. He will transform you. You will start to look more like him. There is a holiness and a freedom and a truth that will step into your life when Christ grabs a hold of you. But here is what we need to be careful of, and here is what we see in Jesus. Even though God is holy, that does not mean that he is distant. As a matter of fact, the holier he is, the closer he tends to get to the brokenhearted and those that seem to be far away from him. Church, just because we are experiencing transformation in our lives, just because we see people live um, and they are not transformed, they are not living the kind of lives that they maybe should be living, that does not mean we look down on anybody, that does not mean we treat anybody with disrespect, but in Jesus we see that we are not only called to connect with people, but we are called to serve them, right? That is what we are called into. And if we are not very, very careful, we can quickly find ourselves in a place where our attitudes do not always reflect that of the heart of God. I was preparing this message on, uh, gee whiz, I was working on it all week, really. And I remember when I just finished it, I think it was Thursday morning, I sort of finished it off and I you know, kind of sat back and I had to make a phone call in regards to the internet at our house. Our Wi-Fi is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I called the call center, um, and they put me through a million different things. La, 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 la. Finally, I get through. I hear the person speaking on the other side of the phone. Um, I believe this person is not from the U.S. It sounded very foreign. It sounded very far. It sounded very distant. And um, we start having a good old conversation. You've got to understand that it's me, number one, speaking with my weirdness, my accent. I don't know anything about technology um, speaking to a person far, far away. So this was, ladies and gentlemen, the most frustrating conversation in all of history that started taking place here. And the longer the conversation went on, the more frustrated I got. And then what happened was this. Subconsciously in my mind, I go, hang on. Um, I don't know that I will ever see this person live actually in my life. So they're far away. So I don't have to worry about any consequences for what I say or how I behave because I won't see them again. I then go full tilt uh, American and I go, I am the customer here, for goodness sake. I am always right. I do not deserve to be treated this way. I actually pay this person's salary. Therefore, somehow I am actually above this person. Don't look at me like that. You've all done this. I know I'm a disgusting <laughs> human being. But in that moment, I then get very snippy. Uh, you can ask Jacob. It's very unpleasant when I get snippy and sarcastic. And as I get all attitude-y and moody on the phone, the Holy Spirit goes, did you not just, and I mean just, five seconds ago, finish a message where literally you're talking about the fact that even though God is holy, he's not better than anybody. And here you are now speaking to this person with this amount of disrespect. And quickly I had to repent. Quickly I had to change my attitude. But if we're not careful very quickly, we slip into this place where we think we are better than other people and we are not. Um, Christianity is blue-collar work. 
It's work where there's dirt under your fingers. It's about connecting with those that are lost and hurting and broken. That's what Jesus shows us about God. Let's move on. Jesus shows us that God is true to his word. God is a man that is true to his word. As we look at the prophecy in Isaiah about a child that will be born, we can confirm in Jesus that God always stays true to his word. So there's a couple of things we see in Jesus. First of all, through the mere fact that Jesus is born, that he lives, that he is crucified, that he raises to life, we see the fulfillment of prophecy. So in the fulfillment of prophecy, God is confirming Scripture. Right there, Jesus confirms Scripture. Not only is Scripture confirmed by Christ's life, but in Jesus' teaching, Jesus is constantly affirming Old Testament Scripture. I was uh, reading this week and trying to get a number on how often Jesus actually quotes the Old Testament, and it is well over 50 times in the New Testament. As Jesus teaches, he refers back to and he quotes the Old Testament. 1 John 1, uh, not 1 John, John 1 verses 1 to 3 says it even more clearly. Listen to what this says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. If you're still confused about what the Word is, verse 14 clears it up. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. He is the fulfillment of the Word. He confirms the Word. He points to the Word. I say that this morning because it, it brings a very important truth that we need to hold on to. One of the things that I have noticed that happens very often is there's this view of Old Testament God sort of grumpy grandpa that's yelling at everybody to stay off the lawn. There's, there's that God. And then there's Jesus in the New Testament that's like, hey, party, yo, yo, yo. Uh, I'm hippie God. Cool, peace. You know what I mean? There's this, this idea that, man, there was grumpy God, and then there is cool new God, Jesus. And what happens is, is that because of that mentality, we start to look at Scripture and we start to want to cherry pick what we like and what we don't like. We go, oh, that feels a little mean. That must be old grumpy God. So we're going to go with cool, nice God, and we're going to leave that out, or we're going to ignore that, or we're not going to look at that. Let me say this to you very clearly this morning. Jesus affirms and confirms all of Scripture. All of it is holy. All of it is sacred. One of the things that I hear quite often nowadays um, is people will justify certain behaviors and they will say the following. They will say, well, Jesus personally never mentioned it. Therefore, we're okay to do what we want to do. Jesus, even though he doesn't always personally mention every issue and every topic, Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament. All of it is sacred. Here's the good news for us this morning. The good news is, is that Jesus shows us that we can trust God's word. Hallelujah. We can trust God's word. We have a firm foundation. We can believe that what God says is true and we can root our lives on his word. 
But here's the flip side of that. Jesus also shows us that we need to submit to God's word because it is the truth. Submission is not always easy. Submission is not always comfortable, but it is necessary because it is the truth. I, uh, I think one of the things that happens sometimes is because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we can quickly dive into this mentality that maybe sin is not so serious. Maybe it's not a serious business because, I mean, you know, it's cool. Like Jesus dealt with it. I want to I wanna say it to you a little differently. Sin is so serious that Christ had to lose his life because of it. It's not that it's not serious. It is deadly serious. And just because Christ took the penalty of sin upon himself, that does not mean that sin is okay for us. I uh, had a little conversation with my, both my daughters this week, uh, Vanessa and Victoria. They both needed rides to different places at the same time on Friday night. They both wanted to go to sporting games. I told them unequivocally I would not be doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not driving all over town. I'm not an Uber driver. It's not going to happen. I am a weak individual, though. Um, a weak, weak, weak individual with no backbone. So I cracked and I said, fine, I will actually do it. Fine. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. I'm not kidding you. I, I left my house on Friday afternoon. I think it was like 424 I arrived back at my house at like 6.10, like two hours later, and I just drove like in the area, like nonstop. I was just at sporting event, this thing there. I could have gone to Texas in the time it took me just to drive around Mount Dora, right? And finally, I pick up Victoria, and I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've driven a whole gas tank out, and she looks at me, and she goes, there we go. That wasn't so tough. And I'm like, no, it was. It was tough. It was easy for you. It was tough on me because I had to carry the consequences of it. It is tough on Jesus because he is the one that carries the consequences. As we move on here, Jesus continues to show us beautiful things about God. Jesus shows us God's heart. We have seen God's mighty power in the Old Testament we were amazed when he brought the 10 plagues against Egypt. He destroyed the mightiest army on the face of the planet without breaking a sweat. He splits oceans. He makes the sun stand still. There is nothing this mighty God cannot do. He is a warrior. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But then Jesus shows us such a beautiful side of this warrior king. In Matthew 8 verses 1 to 4, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want to tell you that if there's ever a time where we are starting to understand disease and sickness a little bit better, it is us in our culture today. We fully understand what it means to social distance and to wear masks and to quarantine. We are a culture that are starting to understand this. And the message is loud and clear. If somebody is sick, if somebody is not doing well, stay as far away from them as humanly possible. I uh, was joking with somebody the other day. When I was a kid and I was sick and my mom sent me to school, um, it was like high fives all around. It was like, oh, you little trooper, well done. Like you're throwing up in math class and everybody's like, good job, little Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now you send your kid to school and they're sick and the whole town is like with pitchforks and like torches outside of your house. Um, But the message is loud and clear. If someone is not doing well, you stay away from them, far away from them. Look at what our God does. Look at what Jesus does. And let me say this. You think coronavirus is rough. Leprosy back in the day was seen as something that was unbelievably difficult to deal with. Um, This is a disease that would eat the skin. It would rot the flesh. It was highly contagious, and it would spread through touch. As a matter of fact, if you had leprosy, you would be banned, thrown out of the city. Don't come near me. And here comes this man to our God, to Jesus. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I I want to give you a little disclaimer here. This is the same Jesus who spoke the universe into existence. No need to touch. Our God doesn't need to touch at this point. Jesus purposefully reaches out his hand and touches the skin disease, puts flesh on flesh. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus shows us God's heart. Jesus shows us that not only is he mighty, not only is he powerful, but he loves us so dearly. Jesus shows us that there is never a moment where we can't go to him with whatever it is that we have. Um, you know, as we, as we stand here today and as we celebrate the goodness of God in what He is doing in our church, I will also say that there have definitely been times in the last 18 months where I have been stretched personally to a place where I feel like a rubber band and it just feels like I'm stretched as far as I can go here. I'm being stretched emotionally, spiritually, leadership ability, intellectually. In every sense of the word, there's a stretching and I feel thin. I feel sometimes like the weight of it all is too much. And where do you go in those moments? What do you do in those moments? Well, we have a God that touches the untouchable. We have a God that hears the cries, that sees the pain, that sees where we're at, and he will come right to where we are, and he will lay hands on us. He will hold us up, and he will say, not only am I a mighty warrior, but I love you, and I care about you. So put your weight on me so that I can carry you, so that I can love you. We have a God that loves us. What this means for us is that we don't have to live in fear of anything because not only is he in control, but he loves us. Last thing I want to look at today is Jesus shows us that God has a plan for our lives. (laughs) So much pressure, isn't it? What's your plan? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-minute plan? What's your next week plan? What's your plan, 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 plan? Uh, I'm not a planner. Well, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I don't even know if I said that right, right? (laughs) All this planning that we need to do, I can rest in the fact that God has a plan for my life, even when I am planless. But let me say this. 
there is this mentality, this your law mentality, this you only live once mentality that I see is out there. And essentially this mentality is because we know we're going to die, because we know it's all coming to an end, we can your law, we can do whatever we want, we can be free, we can just, man, go for it, make the moment count, live your best life now, go crazy, woo! Um, it's all going to come to an end, so do what you need to do. And I'll tell you openly and honestly, I, I think there's truth to that statement, but I'll be very real with you when I tell you that it doesn't really work that way for me personally. As a matter of fact, the opposite is actually true for me. Um, I will say to you that in my deepest, darkest moments of doubt and fear, when I go into those places where I go, man, is, is, it, re is it really real? Is it really true? Is is there life after death? Did Christ really conquer the grave? Um, can I lean on this? Can I trust in this? When I think about death, when I think about my own mortality, when I think about it all ending, I can still somewhat deal with that. But then when I start to think about my loved ones and I think about those people that I love dearly and I think about them dying and them passing away and I go to myself, well, if there's nothing beyond this, if this is all there is, and I'm going to lose these people that I love so fiercely, I don't know what to do with it, right? Emotionally. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know where to take that. When I think about my kids passing away or losing my wife or losing a family member, and there is no tomorrow past the grave, I don't know what to do with those feelings and emotions. And I'll tell you what I end up doing. In those moments, what I do is, is I immediately start to separate myself from my loved ones. I go, if there is no tomorrow, if there is no forever, then I can't bear the pain of a loss. So the only thing I can do to protect myself is I've got to take a step back and I've got to cover my heart and I've got to go, I'm cool, I'm tough. I, I've got a stone wall around my heart because that's the only thing I know to do to protect myself from losing those whom I love so dearly. But in Jesus, we see that grave, the grave is not the last word. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 22. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So if Jesus is not raised from the dead, it's all lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive again. When the Bible speaks of the first fruits, um, it's speaking about the first season's crops given by faithful Jewish people to God. Paul's use of the term here means that Jesus was the first of the crop of the dead. Sounds like a horror movie. To be resurrected. He, his was the prototype for what lies in store for believers in the future. In other words, the harvest has only just begun. What does Jesus do for us? He shows us that God has a plan 
and a future for us. And as I can hold on to that hope, as I can hold on to that truth, I am set free to love with all of my heart, to love fiercely, to love ferociously. I can dare to give all of myself in every situation. I can live my life to the absolute full, knowing that it's not all going to be burnt up in a a pile of ash, but there is everlasting life that comes through Christ. And I can hold on to that, and I can build into that. Come, let's stand this morning as I pray for us. So, Father, this morning, I want to thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord. I thank you, Lord, this morning that Jesus literally is the visible expression of the invisible God. It is through Christ that we see aspects of you, Father, that otherwise we would not see. Father, I thank you this morning that you are so mighty and you are so holy and you are a strong warrior, Lord. I thank you, Father, that nothing can stand against you. The gates of hell shall not prevail, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we can look forward to your second coming where you will be surrounded in glory, Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you, Lord. But Father, I thank you this morning that in Jesus we see that in spite of all of that, you love us, you're close to us, you embrace us, you speak to us, you hear us, you see us, you hold us today. Father, I thank you that, man, there are times where it feels nerve-wracking and what's happening in the world and the future and it just feels like it's all coming to pieces, Lord. But I thank you, Father, that my hope is not in the world, but my hope is in you. So, Father, this morning, I want to pray for everybody in this place that need a touch from the Father. Help us to experience your peace. Help us to experience your love and your joy. Father, if you need to convict us this morning around certain things, then convict us, Father. Show us the way. Help us to be who you've called us to be. I thank you, Father, that we need not be arrogant and prideful and parade ourselves around like we're better than anybody else. Only difference between us and anybody else is your grace, your love. So, Father, we thank you for what you've done in us. If there's anybody in this place this morning that has not experienced Jesus in a personal way, then I want to tell you that I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that before the foundations of the world, this moment was in God's heart. He predestined that you would be here in this moment, that you would hear about His love, that you would hear about who He is. And this morning, I believe that He is guiding you, He's leading you, He is calling you. So today, if that's you and you want to be in a relationship with Christ, it's not about doing a whole bunch of things. It's about simply receiving the gift of salvation that Christ has for you. It's about repenting of your old ways and believing and trusting and grabbing with both hands the beautiful gift that is the gospel. So this morning, if that's you, then I want to pray for you. So Father, I want to thank you for everybody in this place that's maybe never heard the gospel before, Lord. I thank you, Lord, this morning that they can open up their hearts. They can receive the beautiful gift of relationship and salvation in you and through you. Lord, I thank you that we can believe and trust. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to complete the work that you have started. So this morning as we experience you, Lord, I thank you that you will lead us and guide us and transform us into your very likeness. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are and for what you do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen.
If you said that prayer with me this morning, then we want to connect with you. We want to walk a road with you. We want to disciple you. We've got a free gift for you as you leave today. So please go connect with us. Give us your name so that we can contact you. We love you guys. Go out there. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and shine His beautiful face upon you. Go in God's peace. Amen.